Welcome to Young and Adulting, a podcast of the Young Adults community at Christ Fellowship Church. Our hope is to create a safe place for authentic conversation around the ins and outs of life as we all try to navigate following Jesus in the world we live in today. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the conversation. Welcome to season seven of the Young and Adulting Podcast. My name is Lewis. I'm so glad you've jumped in with us today. You know that this season, we are talking about all of those topics that we don't have time to get to in our 20s and 30s Tuesday night gathering. We're, we're preaching through the book of John. And so there's so much in this book that we can't get into a message. So we say we got to take it to the podcast. And we're talking about all of the fun topics. The topic for today We're talking about the woman caught in the act of adultery. The question, did it really happen? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. And so to bring this conversation to light, we have the one and only Pastor Josh Magnuson, Associate Pastor of Christ. You do so much. We've got got Val and Zane here. Uh, The three of us are locked in. We're ready to load you down with questions to figure out what's going on, but... Pastor Josh, would you share a little bit about what you do for those that are not familiar with you? Yeah. Um, so like like Pastor Lewis said, uh, I'm associate pastor at Christ Fellowship. In my current role, it's really, I support Pastor Todd directly. So it's it's a pretty broad role of whatever, basically I think of it, if I can use a biblical example of, you know, the book of Exodus, Israelites are in battle, they're fighting. As long as Moses has that staff over his head, they're winning. When it drops, they start losing. And he has two men, Aaron and Hur, supporting him. That's kind of the mental picture I have in my mind when I think about what I do is just it's holding up Pastor Todd's arms to hopefully make his life a little bit easier. So whatever that Mm -hmm. entails, whether it's sermon research, getting a cup of coffee, you know, meetings, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, It's it's a very broad role, but that's that's it in a nutshell. Well, we are so grateful for you. It's an honor. And for the the impact that you're making in our church and region. And we could talk we could talk impact for a long time. (laughs) But what that has brought you to today is to answer a question on the woman caught in the act of adultery. The Mm -hmm. passage is in John chapter 8. Would you kind of unpack a little bit of it, give us some context before we dive into the question? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, John chapter 8, pretty much verses 1 through 11. Uh, Again, this is the woman caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus. Uh, Jesus is in the temple courts. He's teaching, which is pretty standard for him. A lot of rabbis did this. And so the Teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, they bring this woman and they basically throw him down right in the midst of a teach. They interrupt the teaching session, throw her in the midst oh of it, gosh. say, hey, this woman's caught in adultery. And the law says we should stone her. What do you say? The whole thing is a setup. They're trying to trap Jesus in his words. And so basically in their in their mind, it's, hey, if he says, yes, we should stone her. Well, he's, he's now alienated his entire following because now that grace and that mercy he's been preaching is now to the wayside. If he says no, then they've got him trapped. Of, oh, see, Jesus dis- disagrees with the word of God. He's not from God. So in their mind, they've got him trapped. Uh, and if you know the story, really interesting here, it says Jesus bent down and started right on the ground with his finger. And I love this because this is in the midst of all this pressure that's around him. Like they are just going after him and he basically ignores them. And he just leans forward and starts writing on the ground. And if you've heard any sermons on it, I've heard a lot of them. People are always you know, making conjecture about what was he writing, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can, I know I'm not going to teach on this, but one thing I want to draw out is I think we ask the wrong question sometimes. We always ask the question, what was he writing? I think it's better to ask, why was he writing? Wow. That's good. And Come just on. to, just to kind of share on that really quickly, uh, there's a passage in Jeremiah and it's Jeremiah 17, 13. And it says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, 
All who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And if you look at the context just earlier in John 7, what does Jesus do? It says on the last great day of the feast, he stands up and, and basically uses this language of living water. And so here, as Jesus is writing, there's this Old Testament correlation back to Jeremiah. We're saying, hey, everyone who rejects the Lord, Jesus is the Lord, he's the anointed one, they should be written in the earth. And so, again, a lot of times we wonder, what was he writing? Was he writing their names and all their sins? I've heard all kinds of stuff. What if he was just writing out Jeremiah 17, 13? So yeah. again, it's conjecture, but there's some Old Testament correlation there. So anyway, if you know the story, he writes, sits back up and says, he who is about to sin casts the first stone. Slowly, they drift away from the oldest to the youngest. All that's left is a woman caught in adultery. And as for your accusers, they're not here. He says, I do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. Uh, again, I think there's an important point there. It's been made before. Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he also doesn't condone or gloss over the sin. Mm -hmm. Sin right. is still an issue. Mm -hmm. He says, go and sin no more. So there's that, hey, sin is a big deal. It needs to be addressed. It's not okay. But there's also mercy and grace where God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. Mm -hmm. And you see that kind of played out. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, I know. That's, that's really good. Um, this passage I know has been like so important to like, to me and like so many of my friends because of just like the testimony and the redemption that the Lord has uh, for the woman that was caught in adultery. But this is a controversial one. Like, can you, why is it controversial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, if you're reading this in the NIV, it tells you kind of right at the beginning of this passage that this passage here was not contained in the earliest manuscript of John's gospel. Wow. Yeah. And okay. that, by the wow. way, that is not mm -hmm. a matter of opinion. That's fact. Like if you read commentaries, you check it out. Like this is, nobody argues over this fact. And so that's really why this passage is pretty controversial. Um, some, some ancient manuscripts, you'll find this located elsewhere in John's gospel. Some uh, manuscripts place this as part of Luke's gospel. So it, okay. there's okay. a whole lot of different stuff going on there. Huh. So I can see kind of the difference. Like some people have it, some people don't. Like the difference in manuscripts. Why do you think maybe some people think it shouldn't be in the Bible? And I can see that argument yeah. with it being in, not being in some of the early manuscripts. Yeah, it, it really boils down to just that because it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. And therefore, some people say, well, if it's not in the earliest manuscripts, therefore, we have to reject it entirely. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that, that's really the, the argument. Um, I don't know if we won't get into it here, but there is a ton of research on this. We can include it, I think, in show notes or something mm -hmm. like that. I've done a lot of research for it that we can't get into here. But if you're one of those kind of theology nerds like me that you want to dig into it, uh, there's certainly a lot out there that speaks to it. Okay. But, well, help me out with this. Why is it important that it's in the earliest manuscripts? What's a manuscript? Like, I, I don't know. I just read my Bible. I read this little italicized line and I'm wondering why in the world is it in there? And if it's not in the earliest, how do we know that it happened? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the, the earliest writings, the original writings, we would call autographs. Those are the ones that, say, John originally wrote. Okay. We don't have any of those. And obviously, if you look at the writing thing, mm. written on papyrus, stuff like that, they're just, they're going to decay over time. But we do have very, very old manuscripts dating back to late first century, early second century, all the way through. And so when we talk about manuscripts and how we trust scripture, we can actually trace, particularly the New Testament, we have thousands of manuscripts from late first century, early second century, all the way up to medieval times even today. And the beauty is we can actually track that and, and see that scripture as a whole has remained unchanged, unedited, which is why this passage really sparked so much controversy. Oh, wait a minute. This is a pretty big change. 
Sure. It wasn't there. Now it is, or it's in different places, that Where'd sort it come of thing. From? Yeah. So that's really why manuscripts are a big deal is it helps us know the validity of scripture. And so addressing this one particularly is, well, then can we trust it? Can we not? Uh, what I go to is, and I know we're doing a series on John in, in uh, 20s and 30s. This is kind of a cutting to the chase. The very last verse in the gospel of John, he makes this comment of, hey, there's so many more stories about what Jesus did that even for to write them all down, the whole world could not contain the books. So even while this particular passage was not original to John's gospel, that doesn't mean it's not true. Mm. There's a lot of oral tradition that was handed down all these stories that even by John's account, hey, we couldn't fit all these in. This is one of those original stories. It is true. It is authentic. It was accepted as authentic by the earliest church. It just wasn't initially written down, but it was so important to the early church that they're like, okay, we've got to get this in. So again, just because it wasn't in the original you know, John chapter eight, that section right there, that does not mean it's not authentic or it's not true. So we can, we can ha hold those two things in tension of it was not part of the original manuscript, but it's also still true and it's still part of the, the Jesus story. It's still part of the, the true stories of what Jesus has said and done. So you think it's true? Absolutely. You 100%. think it happened? 100%. Okay. Yeah. And the early church would back that up as well. The, the early church, um, you talked about oral tradition, people. Are there any people we can go back to that like believed this uh, yeah. way back then in the early church? Yeah, you'll hear um, there's a guy named Eusebius who's known as the father of church history. Mm -hmm. uh, he records, it's not exactly like John has it, but there's a story he that he records. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, starts with a P. Uh, but basically, God tells a very, very similar story. And he just says it as though it's common knowledge. The way it's written about is, hey, this is, everybody knows this. Everyone knows this story. Uh, you've also got Augustine. You know, St. Augustine, we, one of the fathers of the church. We know yes. this guy. Yeah. Um, we have recorded a message he preached on this passage from the late fourth century. Yeah. So again, was this story original with John's earliest manuscripts? No. Was it accepted as true and as scripture? Yes. Okay. So again, it's a weird kind of tension, but you can see that in the early church. People accepted this as true. They accepted it as authoritative, even though it wasn't located where it is now in John chapter eight. That is wild, but it, you think it should be included in the Bible? I do. Okay. I do think it should. It's it's true to the Jesus account. If you look at what Jesus says and does in this, it fully lines up with who Jesus has revealed in the rest of the Gospels. And as I mentioned with that Jeremiah passage, it also helps tie in with what we see in John chapter seven of, of Jesus's words there. So this is conjecture on my part, but I'm I'm even wondering if the Holy Spirit had something to had a role to play and where it finally landed because it yeah. even though it was not original, it fits really really well coming right out of that living water statement that Jesus makes in the end of John chapter seven and then bleeding right in uh, to that. Okay. So sure. again, that's conjecture, but I think the Holy Spirit may have still had a hand in there of the All final right. product. Got a question. Let's go. Uh, I'm sitting here with some CFSCU students. Oh, yeah. uh, what are your degrees in, by the way? What are you getting your degree in? I'm getting mine in ministerial leadership. Okay. Yeah, and I'm doing ministerial leadership, but I'm focusing in on biblical studies. Come on now. Nice. Oh. Okay, you're my people. Yeah. Like we got, we got like Bible this. nerds, we got theology nerds. Um, I know that, that we're going to be very uh, theologically robust, all right? Um, I, I read something like this. It's, mm -hmm. it's not in the earliest manuscript, but it's apparently accepted. And so I've heard of some things like the Gospel of Thomas and mm -hmm. something like the Gospel of Jude, like some, some things yeah. that mm -hmm. I don't read in my Bible that some people think are Bible. So how do we... How do we approach this? How can we trust that this book right here is yeah. the word of God and that some things 
aren't, um, that, that they should not be included in the Bible, but what's actually between the leather covers or the Bible app is, is what's true. Yeah. How do we know? That's another great question. It's, uh, it really comes down to what the church widely accepted is, yeah, this is authoritative. So you mentioned like the Gospel of Thomas, um, Judas, you've got all kinds of different gospels out there. Most of them were rejected because they were known as Gnostic gospels. Okay. So there was a bleeding in of Greek um, Gnostic philosophy. Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it created okay. this weird dichotomy where everything material is evil, everything spiritual is good, which obviously doesn't line up with scripture because yeah. God created the, right. the world and called it good. But that was very prevalent in the early like first century, second century. And so a lot of those gospels are Gnostic gospels and they were immediately rejected by the church. That's why you won't see them in scripture is because there was no controversy of, oh, is this part of it? Is it not? They were immediately rejected. They're still valuable for understanding some of the thought going on, but they are not okay. scripture and they were never accepted as scripture. Uh, and you'll find that both in the New Testament with some of those gospels, even the Old Testament, there's some uh, apocryphal works and things like that, like Enoch and things like that. They're valuable mm -hmm. historically to help us understand what was going on in the minds of the Jewish people, but they're not scripture. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's very okay. important that we make a distinction between those two things. But yeah, it's it wasn't like people voted on it. It was okay. just, they read this gospel, wait a minute, this doesn't line up with the rest of the word of God. This doesn't line up with who God reveals himself to yeah. be, therefore we reject it. Yeah. So this this Bible that we have, that that is the word of God. We can trust that it. That is inspired. Yeah. That is scripture. Can you help us out? How can we uh, approach kind of the the complicated, confusing passages of the Bible, and yeah. how do we understand what we are reading? Yeah, it's kind of I've got three main thoughts around that, and I'll kind of mention them all in succession, and then kind of unpack them a little bit. When it comes to particularly difficult passages of Scripture, whether it's something like John eight, or whether it's a passage you're reading, you're like I'm not even sure I understand this. Uh, there's three main things I do. Is number one, engage with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, in John's Gospel, we're going through the study of John, so this is appropriate. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in chapters 14, 15, and 16, mostly chapters 14 and 16. And through there, he tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to guide us into all truth. Jesus says in John chapter 17, the word of God is truth. So part of the Holy Spirit's role is to mm. guide us into, he's basically our tutor, if you think of it that way. We also know from Paul writing to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed, That's or your translation might say inspired. So you basically have the author of the book as your personal tutor. Whenever I read scripture, wow. I intentionally engage cool. with the Holy Spirit of, okay, Holy Spirit, you're the author of the book. According to Jesus' words, you're also my personal tutor to guide me into all truth. I'm looking to you to help me do this. And so that's, that's the first thing I do whenever I open the word. I'm always intentionally engaging with the Holy Spirit and seeking his, his guidance, his revelation. The second thing I would say is you got to be curious and you have to be courageous. Okay. Be curious. Uh, there's some passages I wrote down um, in Proverbs 25, 2, it says, it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. And why this is relevant here is we're probably all aware of, you know, 1 Peter 2, 9, that we're a royal priesthood. Mm -hmm. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are royalty. You are, we are kings and, and queens of the most high God. So that Proverbs 25, 2, the glory of kings to search out a matter, that applies to us as believers. Mm -hmm. There are things God has hidden in his word, not from us, but for us. Wow. And so okay. it's to the glory of kings, it's to our glory to search out what God has hidden for us. And also in Proverbs, um, the wisdom, understanding, knowledge of God is described as hidden treasure, as silver, you know, as precious stones, that kind of thing. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't see hidden treasure, silver, and stones just lying around on the ground. To find those, <laughs> you got to dig for it, right? It takes time. It takes effort. And so when I hit difficult passages, that's the mindset I carry in. Is number one, I've got the Holy Spirit with me, so how can I lose? 
-hmm. but also I recognize I need to put time and effort into my reading and study of the word of God, because not everything is just going to be laying on the surface for me to pick up easily. There are certain things that you only get by really pressing into God, because at the end of the day, God is interested in relationship. He's not interested in something casual or superficial where we just go to him, get our answer, and then we're off. There's a, the more we dig into the word of God and really seek it out, there's a closeness you get with God of really encountering him in a new way in his word. And so that's what I mean by being curious. The second thing, be courageous. Don't shy away from the hard stuff. Dig into it. Right, uh, sure. If I'm being honest, those are the passages that I'm most attracted to are the ones that are controversial, the ones that are hard to understand, because I think there's more meat there than the really easy passages. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's at least how I engage with those difficult passages. Engage with the Holy Spirit, be curious, be courageous. That's good. Um, going back to, you were talking about curiosity. So I was curious about this. Do you think that John himself wrote this passage or do you think it was someone else? Uh, it's pretty clear John did not write this passage. Okay. And, wow. and here's why. Um, if you look at in the original Greek, this is not obvious in the English, but in the original Greek, it's very obvious John 8, 1 through 11 uses terminology and words that John doesn't use anywhere else in his gospel. Okay. One example is scribes, where it says the Pharisees and scribes. John doesn't use that word for scribes. It's very, very common in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Oh. And so again, this doesn't mean we can't trust it. It just means yeah. it most likely at least the way it was written down was not written by John. It was probably written by someone else. That doesn't mean it's not true. It's still true. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't penned by John himself. It was inserted into his gospel. And there's some other things as well. If you look at where the placement is, even though I kind of see a little bit of a Holy Spirit manipulation there, like I referenced earlier with the living water passage from John 7, if you take John 8, 1 through 11 out of that passage, it actually still reads very, very well because there's a tabernacle motif going on in John 7 and 8. That if you pull it out, and so some people would argue the placement is a little, little wonky because it breaks up that, that train of thought mm -hmm. around the tabernacle mo motif. So those are reasons why we could say pretty definitively this was not originally written by John. Again, still true. It's still authoritative, but not written by John himself. It's good so. to know. Thank you. No, that's that's great. I'm, I'm learning so much about uh, the different... Uh, the genres and the connections yeah. and the way these things work. Uh, could you explain a little bit, how can we spot this whenever we're reading it? Maybe for the first time or a little uh, fresher to the text, not familiar with yeah. it. How do we figure out what's going on? Yeah, genre is a, a big thing when it comes to reading and interpreting scripture correctly. And there's, there's tons of different genres out there. So it's there's seven widely recognized ones. There's narrative, that's, that's story. We know what that is. Mm -hmm. Poetry, so you think of like, Psalms, Proverbs, that sort of thing. We've got wisdom literature. Job is considered wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes. Um, we have prophecy. We Obviously, we have major prophets and minor prophets in the Old Testament. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have epistles. Those are mostly the Pauline literature, but we have some Johannine, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the Petrine literature, 1st and 2nd Peter. Those are all epistles, which is just a fancy word for letters. And then finally, we have apocalyptic literature, which the big one is Revelation, but there's even um, some apocalyptic apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament as well. The big thing to remember, you will very rarely have one book of the Bible that is 100% one genre. Oh, Most okay. of them, like Daniel, you've got narrative. You also have prophecy. You also have apocalyptic literature. So right. most books of the Bible are going to have a blend of these different genres. And so even recognizing within a book, what's going on here is this, there could be a poetic passage in the midst of a narrative. Mm -hmm. You'll see that, um, like say in Exodus, where 
you know, Israel's coming out and, uh, and Miriam has Miriam's song. Well, that's, that's poetic work set inside a narrative. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the New Testament, Mary's song, the Magnificat, that's poetic genre within a narrative framework. So again, when, when we say genre, we're not talking about, oh, this book is this type of genre. It ebbs and flows all throughout the books of the Bible. Uh, that's great. I'm going to ask, ask you all what uh, your final questions are for Pastor Josh, but as you as you read this, um, how has this story impacted your life? I know we've talked very uh, yeah. scholarly about this, but personally, yeah. what does this do in your life? Yeah, for me, uh, this is a this is a really impactful story, and I think a lot of other Christians would say the same thing. It's a very formative portion of Scripture. To me, it just reveals the heart of God so beautifully. You know, mm-hmm. again, Jesus' own words, where he talks to his disciples and he says, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." When we see Jesus in the Gospels, particularly in this story here, you see the heart of the Father, um, where it says elsewhere, you know, God desires mercy, not sacrifice, or His mercy triumphs over judgment. You see this come out, mm-hmm. and if all you ever read is the Old Testament, again, try to put ourselves in the mindset of those Jesus was teaching. They're all they all their scriptures the Old Testament, so there's a lot about sacrifice. There's a lot about hey, you screw up, sooner or later it's going to catch up to you. You're going to get it. You know that yeah. kind of idea. And so what Jesus is really doing is earth shattering. He's saying, hey, yeah, you've got this mosaic law, but you guys don't have an accurate view of who the father truly is. This is his heart. And I've come to reveal the heart of the father. Again, it's not, he's not going against the law. The law is perfect. The law is from God. It's holy. But Jesus is bringing a deeper revelation of who God truly is that they didn't necessarily get. And to me, this story illustrates it so beautifully because you take someone in the absolute lowest point of their life. Like this woman had to be terrified for her oh life. She gosh. knew it was coming. And there's the public humiliation factor. If they caught her literally in the act of adultery, she's probably not fully dressed. She's literally brought into the temple courts, would be the court of women, and thrown in the midst of a group of people. So there's fear going on. There's terror. There's humiliation. There's shame. There's all of this. And yet in the midst of that, you see Jesus reveal the heart of the Father here of mercy, forgiveness, and still holding fast to, hey, go and sin. So to me, that's that's why this is so impactful is you have all of that wrapped up in this one, you know, basically 11 verses of scripture. Mm-hmm. It's wild to think that the spirit in the church said, this story tells us so much about God that it needs to be in. Yeah. And we're going to throw it right there. Right. I love yeah. it. I love yeah. it. Y'all, y'all have any other questions? Go for it. Oh. <laughs> Go for well, um, there, like we were just talking about like the genres and how to identify that, but maybe there are. Have, are some people that um, don't know where to even start in the Bible. And I know that John's been a good recommendation mm-hmm. that even I've gotten when I first started. But what are some recommendations that you might have for people starting off reading their Bible or just people that are like, well, I've already read this. Like, what else can I do? Yeah, I do. I have, I'm actually one of those. That I usually recommend the Gospel of John. It's my favorite of the Gospels. Come on. Um, so and, and because, again, it's it is narrative. It's easy to read. Like, I don't care what culture you're in we're all motivated by story, by narrative. So I wouldn't throw someone into Ecclesiastes, for example. You know, that, that wouldn't be a good starting point <laughs> yeah. for, for most people. Mm-hmm. But so John really, what I love about the Gospel of John is number one, it's, it's easy to read as long as you find a translation that you can read. Don't mm-hmm. pick up the King James or something like that. I, I have trouble understanding King James. We don't talk like that anymore. But find a translation that works for you. The Gospel of John, what I love about it is his focus is on Jesus's divinity. Mm-hmm. So every Gospel writer has a different facet they approach from, for Jesus. Matthew focuses on Jesus' kingship. You know, Mark about the servant. Uh, Luke, you've got Jesus as fully man. And then, and then John comes along. The, the reason his is different, he's focused on Jesus' divinity. This is the son of God. 
And so to me, it just reveals because of John's focus, like I mentioned earlier, it reveals the heart of the father, even while you're getting Jesus. And to me, that's absolutely just beautiful. Plus, I think Jesus uh, in John's gospel, we see the most teachings of Jesus concerning the Holy Spirit. So you really get a better picture of the Trinity in John's gospel than you do in the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it's for all those reasons, readability and just just the theology behind it, where I, I think John's a great place to start. Beyond that, I normally recommend people to read Ephesians because it gives a good idea of our identity as believers, as the mm -hmm. church. Uh, plus, it's a short it's book. It's easy to read. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, only, only six chapters or so. So that's those. That's usually my recommendation. And then from there, it really goes to, to interest. Some people want to start at the beginning and work through. So, okay, let's start with Genesis and work our way through. Some people uh, are more like, hey, I want to learn about a certain topic. Okay, let's look at some of the epistles that maybe deal with certain those issues. But um, aside from John and Ephesians, I don't have any prescribed. It's more, what does that person need? And I try to point them to a specific book that'll meet that need and help them grow. It's great. It's great. So, yeah. Um, maybe just one last question. Sure. Um, you were, uh, Val was asking about recommendations you have. Um, maybe more focused, you're talking about the heart of God. And may, and for me this week, at least, and those listening, what's a story maybe you would suggest so that we can get a greater focus on the heart of God this week? Heart of, story from scripture? Yeah. Or maybe one that's like a little bit confusing or you don't really know what's happening, but it reveals a lot for <laughs> okay. us. Okay. Those are two different questions for me, at least. <laughs> get them. Uh, I don't know if I've nailed on a specific one, but even... We're in John's gospel. So I've been in John's gospel a lot because this is where we're at in 20s and 30s. I've just been going through mm -hmm. it again. Even John's motivation for writing his gospel is so that you may believe mm -hmm. that Jesus. And so again, all throughout there, if you look at the breakdown of John's gospel, and I don't know if this was discussed in week one or not, but John's gospel is broken into what's called the, the book of signs and the okay. book of glory. It's basically broken into two big sections. The signs, you have all the miracles, signs of Jesus cementing his place as Messiah. Then you have the book book of glory where it, it's his crucifixion, death, resurrection, where he is glorified. And so again, all through that, if you look at John as a whole, all of those different stories all add up to this heart of God, the heart of God That's for good. people and that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that doesn't answer your question looking for a specific story, yeah. but I, I think of, of John as a, as a whole in that yeah. sense. And That's that awesome. to me, the entire gospel just bleeds that everywhere. For sure. So, I guess great. I'll just have to read the whole yeah. chapter this week. Yeah. yeah, the whole book. It's, it's yeah. worth the reading. Book. The story yeah. of Jesus. Every chapter, the yeah. whole book. <laughs> yeah. All right, I do, have, I do have a question. Okay. All right, this is maybe a little bit of a different topic that we've talked about so far. Okay. But we want to get to know you, all right? Yeah. If you could interview one person, one-on-one -on -one conversation mm. in all of human history, who are you going to sit down with? All of human history or who's like like present day or anybody? Um, We're, we're going to make it, we're going to make it Anybody. Anybody. Oh, let's see. I, I'm a huge fan of history. So there's a number of historical figures that I'd love to talk to, but it'd be hard to narrow down. So if I'm thinking people alive today, someone that I'd be very intrigued to talk to today, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a guy named Adam Grant. Are you familiar with Adam Grant? I'm not. He's a, I think so. he's a professor at Wharton, okay. Wharton School at the University of, of Penn. And this guy, I follow him on social media. I'm not a psychologist by any stretch, but this guy is an organizational psycho psychologist. Uh, New York Times bestseller, TED Talks. What I love about this guy is he's tapping into stuff in his studies. Um, and I'd love to sit down and talk to him about his faith because I don't even know if he's aware of it, but the stuff that he shares through his social media, through his books, that kind of stuff, all of it has this biblical foundation. I'm not even sure he's aware of it. He's discovered it by simply studies in the realm of psychology, studying human behavior, what motivates people. Mm -hmm. And every time he says something, 
like I have scripture passages coming to mind that are like, yeah, let the scripture says that there, scripture says that there. So his stuff is rock solid, but I'm not even sure that he's aware of that. And I would love to sit down with him and just get a gauge for cool. where his faith is. And depending on that, like, hey, were you aware that God actually talks about what you just discovered? To me, that would be fascinating to sit down with him. And if you're not familiar with him, look him up. He's a brilliant communicator. Just seems like a cool guy to hang out with regardless. So he's yeah, definitely yeah. worth a follow. I've learned okay. a lot through him. Adam Grant. Adam Grant. What, what about this side? What, who would y'all want to sit down with? We'll, we'll narrow it. We'll keep it to people alive today. I can start. I would have to say probably, um, haven't met him in person, but I would say Tim Tebow probably. Okay. Big sports guy, so into the football season, you know. And yeah. um, I would say probably him because I think he's such a great example of like, just pick his brain a little bit about like just kind of his story in life. Mm -hmm. And basically around the fact that like he's in an area in life and an occupation that doesn't necessarily have Christian values all over it, right? Like he's always had temptation constantly thrown at him and just kind of how, like ask him, how do you stay on that foundation, right? Throughout your entire life, mm -hmm. no matter what's thrown at you, right? How do you consistently stay on God and maybe kind of like what his daily schedule looks like? right like when does he read the bible does he wake up early in the morning does he read it late at night right like yeah it'd be cool what's his kind of daily walk through with his relationship with jesus yeah okay val uh, i feel like for me i would love to interview dolly parton all right she's Ooh. just an icon you know and like she's uh, gone through a lot yep as we've seen from songs but um i feel like she could just pour in so much yeah. you know and just share Sounds about her good. experience I want to talk to Elon Musk. Ooh, oh, yeah. I was thinking about <laughs> saying another good one. <laughs> yeah. I want to figure out what's happening on Mars right now because I, I think he was there last week. Probably. I guarantee you. He, know, he knows it all. He knows it all. Man, we, are, we have fun at this podcast and we get to ask serious questions. Um, man, the point of this is not just so we can ask a, a hot topic question, but there is so much in scripture, even in the italicized sentence in brackets underneath, right? Um, man, I've learned more about the heart of God. I've learned more about uh, the, the purpose of the church and the Holy Spirit, why I can trust my Bible. I've learned a lot today. And I'm praying that, that you've learned a lot today as well. So we are continuing this series. The next episode is going to be from the Gospel of John. What's one of those questions? What's one of those topics? And we're going to go there. So I want you to be a friend, tell a friend about Young and Adulting Podcasts, like it, subscribe to it. 2024 is the year for you to go all in with your faith. And I think a great next step is just hit a subscribe button here, share it with somebody that you love. But until then, we will see you next time on the Young and Adulting Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Young and Adulting. Follow us on Instagram at cf.youngadults. And if there's a topic you'd like to talk about, we want to hear about it. Send us an email or leave a comment with your thoughts. We'll see you next time. Thank you.